This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I would like to introduce to you an author and aspiring screenplay writer from Thomaston, Georgia. He is a father and lover of all things that are music and art related. I actually met him on Clubhouse, um, and if y'all haven't been on Clubhouse yet, I'm sorry if you don't have an iPhone. Unfortunately, you can't get on there, but it is thebomb.com, and, and yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it like that. So... <laughs> I love Clubhouse. It's an audio-only social media app. Um, not that I'm, like, promoting them or anything. But, I mean, as a podcaster, obviously, I just love it so much. So we met in a room, and I looked at his bio, and he had his book in there. And I was like, that is something that I have been needing and wanting to talk about for a very long time. So I am very excited to interview you today. And his name is Carl Willis. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the title of your book is called Me and Your Mama, yes. a long story short. Yes. Do you want to kind of give us a brief synopsis of what it's about and what drove you to write it? What drove me to write it was, well, I'll start with that. Um, what drove me to write it is I was going through a period after my, you know, my son, my son's mother, me and my son's mother broke up. I was going through a period where, you know, she wasn't allowing me to talk or to see him. Uh, it was about, you know, the, the situation ended <laughs> bad as, as some do. And, uh, you know, at the time she was, she was bitter about the situation. And so she basically took my son and, and ran away with him. Um, I had to hire a private investigator and just go through the court proceedings in order to kind of get visitation, you know, to just to be back around them. And so um, during that period, uh, a woman that I was dating at the time, she, um, you know, I think she just saw that I was depressed and going through it. And she gave me a journal and she told me to write to him every day. And initially I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought I was too cool for it, but I started and I loved it. You know, I, I love like, you know, talking about what happened with me that day, lessons I learned that day, is talking about past stuff, and you know, so that, that's how, that's the way it kind of started. And then it, after maybe a year or so, I realized that okay, I could make this into a book. Um, and I think maybe after a couple of years, um, after going through therapy and just growing up a lot more, I understood like okay, this not is this is not just a story of you know. Uh, me and his mama, but it's also a story of my life and lessons I've learned in my life and, you know, issues I had with my trauma I had from, you know, my childhood and how I overcame that and, you know, the things I've done to address those things to to not pass them off to him. And this became more and more uh, of a story the more I went to uh, therapy and learned about myself and, you know, did the work. So, um, I would say, <clears throat> in a nutshell, the story, uh, it's a story of like a fatherless boy that's determined to be a better man than his father, um, but also finding himself in similar situations and making similar decisions as his father <laughs> during that time period. Uh, 
it's a it's an interpretation of a future conversation that I intend to have with my son uh, regarding you know some of my life lessons, like I said, but also you know where me and his mother went wrong. Um, and throughout that conversation, I trade being transparent uh, in hopes of breaking generational curses. So it's you know it's, it's different things that I talk about in the book that you know I want my son to learn from earlier than I did. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's so many things there that we now need to touch on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a, it's it's basically letters that you were writing to your son during yeah. the process of trying to get him back in your life, correct? Yes. Okay. And how old was he when she when you guys like split up and all that happened? This was, uh, I'd say he was about. He was four actually. Yeah, he was four. He had just turned four actually. Okay. And then, so how long was it before you were able to get him back? 18 months and 13 days. Not that you counted or anything. Not that I counted. <laughs> right. So so he was like about five and a half, six? Yes. When you got him back? Yes. Okay. And did he, when you did get him back, how was like the reunion for that? Did he remember you? Uh, man, it was <laughs> bringing back memories. And I talk about this too, but uh, it was amazing because, you know, he definitely remembered me. He definitely like, he gave me this. He gave me this vibe of like, where you been? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm happy to be around you. Well, hey, what happened? You know. And uh, I think we we spent that whole because um, initially it was just a couple of weeks before he started kindergarten, and we spent the whole we spent that two weeks together. Just and I took him. You know, I took him back to my hometown and I showed him around to you know different places and where I grew up at and the people that raised me and I was raised around and. Just wanted to give him like a introduction of like who I was, but it also was, um, you know, it also was not easy because I was also trying to uh, make up for almost two years of discipline that he needed that I felt he needed at the time. Uh, so that 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 was a, a lesson in itself. So yeah, but so I have questions about how you decided to write because I know many men that if I were to gift them. A journal, mm -hmm. they would 100% just like set it down and never touch it again. Yeah. And you said that you kind of felt that way initially. So how did you wind up actually writing anything? I don't know. I just, I just, it was just therapeutic for me in, in the beginning, you know, just to really get it out. And then I started seeing, I started reading different books and I, I realized like, okay, this isn't, you know, this this is actually I didn't want to put it out for like public consumption. I really wanted just to have this to give this to him. Um, I think I gave it to someone once I finished it, the final draft. And, you know, they told me um, how it helped them. The guy uh, I spoke with, a couple of people I spoke with, they told him, told me how it helped them in their marriage and how they um able to communicate and just different stuff like transparency in their marriage and. Different people cried to me. I was like, okay, maybe I need to put this out for everybody. You know what I mean? So, uh, but writing it, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, <laughs> but uh, writing the book was was a pro That's why it took me so long because I kept putting it down and I kept getting messages to pick it up and I got inspired to, you know, write uh, throughout the process of about four years on and off. And so, um, it took a while because I, I kept losing inspiration and regaining inspiration. So it wasn't it wasn't like a thing where I was determined all the way through. So 
Right. So the themes of the book and the reasons that people were like crying to you are, you know, about fatherhood and co-parenting, yes. do's and don'ts, lessons that you learned. And you and it says importance of healing from childhood trauma and forgiveness, which you talked about generational curses. Uh-huh. So what were some of the things in the beginning when you started writing the book that you started realizing you needed to work on? So one, one of the main things is something that I uncovered in therapy and it's something that I've been addressing this year with myself. Uh, just the fact that I, I got molested early on in my life. I got molested by a 10 year old girl when I was four and it changed my life dramatically, but I didn't pay attention to it until, you know, years ago when I was in therapy. And I can trace a lot of the decisions I made and the way I treat, treated women and just different things back to that particular incident, right? And so um, the thing, <laughs> how, how that kind of uh, came to a head was when I first had a real conversation with my father. Um, I was probably about 26, 27 at the time. And we kind of related through our, <laughs> we kind of related through our, uh, our womanizing history, right? <laughs> he was trading, he was trading some of his stories. I was trading some of my stories. And that's kind of the way we related. And it was fun at first. It was like, you know, but at the, you know, at a certain point I sat back and noticed like, oh, this is going to be me if I don't change things about myself. You know what I mean? This is going to be me at 50 if, I, if I'm, if I don't grow and, and you know, uh, just grow as a man. So, you know, but, but it started out, out as that and it, it ended to with now me addressing those things within myself and working to become just better in general. So. Wow. That's amazing that you were able to have that awareness. Yeah. Like at all, because I know people who who don't even have the ability to see, you know, things like that to like take a step back from their own selves and see, like forecasting. I guess is that what they call it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, what were some of the things that your father had told you? Had he been molested as well? Like, what are some of the things that you worked through mm. as a man, or or went through as a man that you know got brought up between you and your dad? Oh, just. A lot of the, um, so I, I blame, I think the forgiveness with my, with my father came in the, the form of, um, you know, him not being able to teach me certain things in life and me having to learn so many things on my own, right? And so once I actually, when I moved uh, from Florida to Virginia, you know, I was around him more and I started to learn a little bit more about his life and his background and you know I, I became sympathetic of him for him because you know he had a tough life he just never healed from any of it you know he was he was uh, assaulted you know by you know his stepfather in the house and which kind of drove him to get into the military as soon as he had a chance and you know that drove him you know to do other things so he he had a tough life as well you know and so he just never healed from it and so if I didn't heal from the things that I went through with him and, and my childhood in general, I was going to pass that off to my son. So I had to, at a certain point, I had to like just redirect and unlearn a lot of those things. Right. So you didn't grow up with your dad either? No, no, I, I didn't grow up around him. I, I told a story in the book that we would see 
I would see my dad maybe once or twice a year. He would come home and see us and see his mother because his mother stayed in the same city that, you know, I did. And, you know, at the most, we would get happy because we knew we would get 10 or $20 a piece from him. Uh, me and my older sister, we knew we would get 10 or $20 a piece. And that was kind of the highlight, you know, of him visiting us. Oh, wow. Okay. So did your parents split up when you were little? Like how old? We just split up when I was about... I think officially when I was about three or four, they stood up. And so once they stood up, my, my father actually had, uh, <laughs> get into a story. My father actually had a kid. Uh, they would have get, the divorce was finalized when I was about five, I want to say, but he had a, he had a kid about three years, uh, after I was born. And so once my mother found out about it, and everything, you know, happened after that. I think that's when the divorce kind of got rolling. Uh, but it was finalized by the time I was like four or five years old. And so my life, you know, I don't remember. My early years were spent with my father, maybe one or two years old. I remember that vaguely. But I remember like my, you know, coming into like kindergarten and around that age. I remember that all being around like my mother's mother and, you know, around that part of my family. Wow. So your dad left around the same time yes. or, or within a few months yep. of all of that and you getting molested? Yep, definitely. Oh, wow. Yep. Goodness. So can you talk about kind of like after, you don't have to talk about like the molestation itself, mm-hmm. but after that happened, did you tell anybody? I didn't. You know, I didn't because that became, I don't know why. I really couldn't tell you why. You know, it, it it wasn't. And, you know, I, I told somebody recently because um, I just really got comfortable with it the last year or two. And I told someone recently um, that it happened, someone that was important to me. And, and they said, you must have liked it. And, and it became like they kind of laughed it off. And mm. and what I took from that, you know, what I took from that is like, oh, you know, it's different when it's in reverse. Boys kind of grow up faster where. It's a lot of things that happen when people say it's just boys being boys. You know, that's just, uh, you know, he, he's, he's fresh or that's, that's a Georgia Southern word for like, he's like fast or, you know, he's, uh, interested in different things too early. You know, they, they have different words for boys, you know, than they do for, for little girls. So, um, right. yeah, so it's not taking the same when a little boy is, is molested or whatever it's taken as, oh, you know, I know, I know a lot of, Men that, um, you know, were their first sexual experience was with a much older woman. And mm-hmm. it's not looked at, it's kind of looked at as, like, oh, you know, he's a, <laughs> he's the man. You know what I mean? It's not looked at the same way as it is mm-hmm. with a girl. So uh, I never really spoke about it until, you know, recently, the last maybe two years or so. Wow. I know. I mean, I think that a really good example of that is the, I think there was a court case a while back where there was a like a middle school boy or something that had gotten into a a relationship, I suppose, with um, a female teacher who was obviously much older. And like everybody just treated the little boy or or even publicly were saying like, oh, you know, he's the man. Like, is it really that big of a deal? Like, why is she even, you know, up for trial, basically? And I was like, because it's molestation. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It is the same thing. Exactly. But I feel like we don't, we don't, in, in, just in this country in general, we don't take it, we don't look at it the same way. Um, you know, 
one of my friends here, he's um, he has two younger daughters, and he was telling me like, hey, you know, I don't let my daughters like stay the night at people's houses that I don't really know who's there, and I don't, you know, he's just real cautious with his daughters. And I remember this is a different time period as well, but I'm sure it still happens. This is the nineties I'm speaking of, and I remember, you know, <laughs> going outside all times of the night and day. You know, we just had to be in before the streetlights came on. You know, our parents really didn't keep tabs on us as much as I, I do with my son, I know. Um, and so we had free reign to do it, to get into a lot of things, especially the boys. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting, you know, the way I think we expect boys to kind of venture out and, and, and you know, be more adventurous, but we kind of keep our eyes on, on girls a little bit more. But what I, what I do see is that the same boys that, uh, that we sometimes don't keep our eye on and don't don't monitor for some of the things we do for girls. They end up being men who are damaged and end up damaging those girls. You know what I mean? So it's all yeah. it all comes full circle. Yep. Absolutely. I um I found myself doing similar things when my kids were growing up because I have one boy, one girl. And um like I would I would send my son over to people's house to spend the night all day long. Okay. Um, but my daughter, like, I have to know who the parents are and I have to know them for a while before, like, I'll let them, I'll let her go stay the night at their house, basically. And so when I realized that I was doing that, though, I was like, that's not, it's not fair to either one of them, honestly. And so, <laughs> and so since then, obviously, I've tried to, like, reel it back with my son and, and, like, let go a little bit more with my daughter. But I don't even know if that's the answer either. Like, there's so many opportunities for kids in general to just be taken advantage of just because they're kids. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to figure out ways to to make them aware that there are people out there who want to take advantage of them mm-hmm. in many different ways, not just, you know, physically, but emotionally as well sometimes. Yeah, there's no handbook with this. Like, it doesn't, you know, right? there's no handbook, there's no, you know, guidelines, and there's no parenting Bible. You kind of really have to find what works for you, you know what I mean? And so, but just what you're saying, you know, just, I would, you know, if I have a, once I have a daughter, I'm going to speak that into existence, but I, I definitely want a daughter. Aww. I just want to give the same level of uh, protection to my daughters, to my sons that I would give to my daughter. Because I know, you know, <laughs> I know with my daughter, I'm going to be super protective. And I try to, you know, mm-hmm. I try to, I know when you're raising a man, it's different. You know, you, you have to, allow for a little, you know, you have to allow for certain things for them to venture and, and do certain things, but you also have to protect them in a way too. So it's a stick, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fine line. So <clears throat> my son is coming into those ages right now when he's learning, um, you know, he's about to enter middle school and, you know, the teenage years. So it's like I can see it's a thing, a lot of things are going to change. So pray for me. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, mine will be entering into high school um, next year. And I'm, I mean, it's hard enough just being a kid, period. But then to be a kid and grow up, like, with all of the technology that they have and all of the the pandemic, mm-hmm. I guess, that they have. Like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Nobody's ever done this before. <laughs> like, not for a hundred years. So, <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping they just turn out okay and doing my best. That's, tough. that's all you can do. You know, that's all you can do. Right? Best, you know? For sure. 
So um, what are some of the, the teachable moments that you had when trying to learn how to co-parent with your son's mom? Because now it's been like, you said he was around six and he's 11 now. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So now it's been like, you've had some years to do this. So how has that been? <laughs> I think initially, because at the time, you know, when I, when I first got a visitation of him, um, I was in a relationship. And so juggling being, I call my, my ex the successor to my, to my son's mother in the book, just, just as a funny thing, but, um, you know, juggling dating someone else seriously and having an ex that you have a kid by that, you know, wants to flex, flex her muscles and, you know, uh, wants to, go above and beyond, want you to go above and beyond to show respect and, you know, not, not necessarily to turn it back. And, you know, she did a lot of talking to my son against me and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, just, a, just a lot of child. I, I remember one thing in particular, right. And it, it was just hard to really like stay in character. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to, I never wanted to disrespect my son's mother because I wanted, I never wanted him to see, that and think it's okay for him to disrespect her, you know? And so um, I remember one episode, he, he got into, it's a prime example, he got into some trouble at school and he was in New Jersey at the time. And I drove up to talk with his principal with her. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to his principal and we, we figure everything out. I take, him, I take him out to eat, you know, and have a conversation with him afterwards. And... Um, he's in the back seat and, you know, my ex is in the passenger seat and he just blurts out, Hey dad, why did you make my mom have an abortion? And I just froze. Yes. He was seven at the time. I just froze. And, but it, it let me see that, you know, she had been telling him some things to kind of turn him against me, but she, you know, she, she also, they had a very tight, they have a very tight relationship to where she feels comfortable telling him certain things that he's, Definitely too young, no, you know. Right. And so I had to, uh, as his father, I had to get to a point where I said, "Hey, he's not the seven, eight year old kid that I want him to be. I don't want him to know these things and grow up so fast." But I had, I have to meet him where he is. You know, um, I'm not going to teach him the same thing his mother is teaching him, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be naive to think that think that he doesn't know some things already. And so I had to change my parenting skills on the fly, right? So right. definitely changed the way I, I parent from here on out. But, you know, as, as far as co-parenting, it's, it's definitely been a struggle. Um, I think over the, I think since I've become single, <laughs> things change. A lot of things change. Um, we definitely, you know, have been working in the last year. Um, we definitely have been working on um, just being communicating better and and just being more considerate of each other when it comes to this thing. So it can happen. It took a long time, a lot of um, ups and downs, a lot of, <laughs> lot of bad emails, bad texts. <laughs> right. It was a lot of that, but we, we're, we're on the right path. So Right. That's what matters. So, I mean, talking about, you know, parents, because like, I feel like when I was seven and eight years old, my mom was kind of doing similar things to me at the time. She was telling me things I I probably shouldn't have known mm-hmm. <laughs> at that age. And so I know that it hindered my relationship with my father personally. Did that happen with you and your son or not at all? Definitely. 
you know, he um, think that he she, she tried to paint the, the narrative, a certain narrative in his mind of me. And so getting back around him, I had to kind of, you know, I just, I just had to uh, approach it from a different angle and not not get upset when he made certain comments with him, with to me, because he definitely would make certain comments that I didn't feel good answering, but I had to, you know. Like he would, he would just frequently ask me, "Hey, you know what happened with you know you and my mother? Like, why did she break up with you? Did you do this? Did you do that?" And a lot of those things I didn't want to answer because I felt like he was young, but he was too young. But some of the, the things that I felt it was he could comprehend, I guess you could say. I definitely answered, and it, I think it actually helped us develop our relationship because he, I think he sees that I'm honest with him. I don't really, I don't lie with him to him about anything, and um. And that's one of the things I, I discuss in the book. Like I grew up, I grew up in a do as I say, not as I do household. Yeah. And my my mother kind of, you know, she lived a certain way, but she wanted us to live another way. And what I found myself, I found myself doing more of what I saw than what she told me to do. And right. so, you know, going into uh, the last couple of years, I realized that oh, I need to really do work on myself because my, you know, the demand that I in that I am, my son is going to be, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew I, I knew I needed to do the work on myself. So he sees the man that he becomes in, in me growing up. So, and, and that's what I've done. I've tried to do more and more, you know, each year, um, work on myself to, for, for him to have that, uh, that example. So. Well, I think you're doing a good job so far. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I grew up, I feel like I grew up in a, not I feel like, I definitely grew up in a do, like my mother used to tell me that, do as I say, mm-hmm. not as I do. Yep. And it was not, like it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. So I also grew up, I feel like in my dad's house, we were told, not told, I don't know if I was ever told this, but it was definitely expected to to be more seen than heard mm. at a bare minimum. Was it? similar in in your childhood that's funny i think we have a bunch of similarities um yes i grew up around i talk about this in the book as well i grew up i had two older sisters right so Mm -hmm. it was basically all women in my household and um you know my mother worked two jobs she she never she was never around as much and so the good thing about that um is that you know we had responsibilities that we had to, you know, as far as cleaning the house, as far as staying on top of our schoolwork. You know, I was maybe, you know, first, second grade with a key to the house, getting out of school and, you know, fixing my lunch and doing my schoolwork. And I had responsibilities that early in life. And so um, that helped me in a way when I got older. But as far as being young, you know, and not having as much supervision as you, you know, you have older sisters that's supposed to watch out after, after you, but they're trying to, you know, they're in high school and middle school. They're trying to go see the guy, you know, doing different yeah, stuff. So kids, whatnot. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to, yeah, they're trying to be kids. So you have a lot of time on your hand. And so um, I ended up getting into a lot of trouble because I had this time on my hand. I still did great in school, but not having supervision caused me to become somewhat of a class clown, I, I think, personally. And so, um, yeah, I ended up getting to a lot of stuff. And one of the things I, I talk about in the book, and it's, I ended up being being uh, questioned by some officers because of a decision I made uh, while I was home alone. There was, maybe I was, what, sixth grade? And there was a girl 
that stayed near me. And, you know, I was super horny at the time. I'm a, I'm a sixth grader, I'm new to middle school and trying to, uh, trying to, trying to figure that part of my life out for I me. Mean, I used to always go, you know, try to be around her and, but nothing ever came of, of it. And so, um, one night, I'm sorry, one morning, you know, I remember waking up. I remember exactly what happened that morning. I, I woke up and, you know, I fixed my breakfast and get my lunch and just happened to casually look out the, <laughs> look out the window. It was a car sitting out front and, um, there was two officers in the car and they got out and came to the door and they asked to speak with me. They asked if my parents were home. I said, no, they took me down to the precinct. In sixth grade? Yes. Without parents? Sixth grade. Yes. Okay. No parents, anything. So they took me down to the precinct and I had no idea why I'm there. I'm nervous. I don't know what's going on. And I draw a comparison to this part in the, in the movie or the show or documentary by Ava DuVernay, um, When They See Us. And it's about the Central Park Five, I think, situation. Do you remember? Have you ever saw that? No. It's a, it's a documentary they did maybe a year ago. It's on Netflix. But it's about kind of similar things, just the, just the police uh, rounding up a group of guys and pinning, pinning them, uh, or pinning a situation on them without them having their parents around and, and you know, harassing their parents to they just really you know some something happened and they wanted they needed some answers for it so they painted on these group of black guys and uh, it changed their life forever and i think i draw a comparison to that sit from that situation to what i went through because my situation was, was on a smaller scale what happened was the girl said that we had sex uh, i guess her mother found out that she had sex and she pinned it on me now, the issue was that I hadn't had sex with her. I hadn't even touched this girl. The, the police, you know, they interrogated me alone. No parents, no family members, anything. And they told me, look, we know you did it. If you admit to it, you get probation. You'll be done with six months. We just want to close this case. You know, it happens. You know, that type, that type of thing. Wow. And uh, I remember... I remember my older sister was in a lot of trouble um, during the time she was going through her, you know, teenage years and in and out of, uh, you know, juvie court and different things. And my mother was going through a lot of things at the time. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a burden on my mother, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I admitted to doing this because I didn't, I felt like if I did, what they told me was, like, oh, you know, they, they did. <laughs> they, I, they definitely took advantage of me. They told me, hey, she came over your house. She said there's a TV. With, uh, sorry, she said there's a dresser with a TV on it. In the 90s, everyone had a dresser with a TV on it. Right? <laughs> and so my, uh, me being young, I'm like, what? Like, they're going to pin this on me. Okay, let me, you know. So I ended up admitting to it. I had nothing to do with this. I admitted to it. I got probation because of this. My mother felt that I was becoming a, becoming a man at the time. And she, she needed to let my, my father have me. So I ended up, you know, moving here with my father. And that kind of changed my life forever because the things that happened once I moved to Virginia with my father just definitely changed the trajectory of my life, I guess you could say. Uh, I found out years later what happened with the girl and why she blamed the situation on me. There were two much older guys that she had been dealing with mm. that, um, that she, you know, that, she dealt with it that night yeah. and she didn't want her mother to know because she didn't want to get them in trouble. And so right. she pinned it on me. 
And so um, I found this out years later. But everything happens for a reason. So, Which brings up like so many other issues, like not just that, A, you're a black man and they took you to the precinct by yourself as a child with no parents, no lawyer, no nothing, and just convinced you to do this. But on top of that, the fact that she can just claim that you did it and the cops are somehow on her side just yep. automatically and say, yeah, you probably did. Yep. Yeah, that was that was um, man, that, that was just looking back on it. Like I got that. I never I didn't know at the time, like how that would change my life. Right. Had you had you ever been like, what was your opinion of the police before that day happened? Like, had you ever been told that the police would attempt to take advantage of you at any point in time or anything? I mean, we, you know, we grew up in neighborhoods where, like, you know, you're just you're nervous of the police when they come around, you know. And at that age, you don't know why you're nervous. It's just everyone's in your neighborhood is nervous when the police comes around. So you have this, you grow up with this certain anxiety when the police are around or, you know, when the lights come on and get behind you or certain stuff, you grow up with a certain anxiety just built in around the police. And so, yeah, I, I never... You know, when they came came to pick me up, I was definitely nervous, but I didn't think I had anything to be worried about. You know, I, I didn't know what it was, but I didn't think I, you know, nothing would come about it. And uh, to see how it, you know, turned out, it was just, it was disappointing. You know, I talked. That's why I talk to my son now about police interactions and you know how to deal with certain stuff in general. So, because they kind of a lot of times they prey on the you know the uneducated and the you know the poor of some sense. So definitely. Yeah. I always grew up afraid of the police too, mm-hmm. but it was because, I mean, I had had between with my parents and their divorce being so ugly, I had had multiple instances with them that just didn't go in my favor and mm-hmm. they just, they wouldn't listen. Yeah. So I want to talk about what people usually call toxic masculinity, mm. which I want to clarify that <laughs> toxic masculinity doesn't actually exist. It's just toxicity in general. Mm. Like it doesn't only belong to masculinity. There are to- toxic females. There are just toxic human beings as a whole. I'm glad you said that, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> so um, can you talk about some of the toxicity that you just grew up with um, that made you the person that you were when you originally started writing the book and then into the person that you now are? Actually, the, new, the book I'm working on now talks about a lot of this. Um, so I'll give you just briefly. The person that I, that I grew from when I started writing the book to now is that I'm more aware of things that shape my life, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes, my history of womanizing <laughs> goes from being molested when I was four by a much older girl to you know, being anxious and eager to have sex at, you know, uh, six years, I'm sorry, uh, in sixth grade to, I'm sorry, but even before that, being, just being a nerd and being into everything nerd, uh, science, math, and, you know, solar system and these things to wanting to sit at the cool table, I said in the book, like wanting to just paying attention to what girls at that age found cool and, you know, just changing things about myself to kind of adapt to that to that environment, right? Mm. To getting in high school and being, you know, one of the one of the bigger athletes in the school, and you know, being just more popular. 
to becoming one of the biggest womanizers, you know, that's, that's out, you know what I mean? To the point where I remember women my mother's age were, were coming on to me in high school and trying to get at me and how that affected my ego and how that affected, like, you know, also my self-esteem at the time. Like it, 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 but it drove my ego through the roof to where I felt like, I feel like I looked at women objectively and not, I never really, you know, from that point on view women, uh, the way I think I should and the way I do now, mm-hmm. right. To going into relationships for the wrong reasons, you know, um, Sometimes because, you know, the sex was great, you know what I mean? And maybe they had one or two other things that I, that I'm, you know, I, I uh, was attracted to, but the sex was great. So I come from being introduced to sex early to getting into relationships because of physical reasons, you know what I mean? Into mm-hmm. having to learn and take a step back this year, at, well, not this year, this is 2021, but in the year 2020, I just took a step back in general and, and I tried abstinence, you know, to figure that out. Like, why am I, why did I, you know, why did I value the things I value so much? Like, why do I end up in the same situation? I remember um, one of my, I call him my OG. Uh, he, he said, um, you must like crazy women. I was like, nah, man, they just always seem to, you know, find me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, the thing about it is that the things I was doing, my interests, my energy attracted the same type of woman. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to change my energy in order to attract the women that I'm, you know, that, I'm, that I want in my life. So that's been like the thing, the biggest thing for me this year. I find a huge correlation when I talk to people between people who have been introduced to sex very early and like how often they want to have sex as an adult. And Honestly, however, it can go one of two ways. It can either go that they want it all the time or that they don't want it ever. And I I don't know, I don't know what the difference is because I know people who have had very similar to the same experiences who one person goes one way with it and the other person goes the complete opposite way with it. So, but there's definitely a correlation between being introduced to something physical like that at a young age and, you know, what you do in your adulthood basically because I mean, I I know I've experienced it. So, that's yeah. Fun. That's very interesting. So you also mentioned briefly that you were suicidal at one point in time in your life. Yes. And um, that was a dark period because my aunt passed. I was at a point in my life in college where I, I was just there. I was just existing. Right. And my aunt passed in my arms like around Thanksgiving time. Right. Like suddenly or what happened? Oh, man, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy. So, um, you know, she was diabetic and you're not supposed to be drinking once you're diabetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just living her life like it's golden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just remember that day I was I, I was smoking a blunt with my cousin, her, her son. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were come, we were walking back. We, my mother stays in, you know, in the, uh, in the in the country. So we were walking back to the house. And he came in and his mother was had been drinking a little. So she was trying to figure out what's going on with us. And she found out what was going on with us. Oh. And um, my mother, you know, she she didn't know, but she, my aunt knew. Mm. And um, for some reason, you know, we were all sitting around the table talking. And my cousin was maybe 16 or 17 at the time. And his little sister was probably about 10. And, you know, they, they were arguing about something very petty. And she was just like, hey, you know, once I leave, like, 
you know, y'all two are going to be all y'all got. Like y'all have to be there for each other and y'all have to, you know, have each other's, excuse me, have each other's back. And I swear, maybe like 10, 15 minutes later, she fell back in her chair. And, but her eyes were wide open. She didn't know she, she didn't know, uh, know that she fell. And we picked her up and I guess her husband was there too. And he figured out, okay, maybe she's having a diabetic coma. I mean, maybe she's having a, you know, a diabetic episode, you know, let me give her this. And he did his routine with her. And I thought she, we thought she was like, you know, coming back together and maybe 10 to 15 more minutes she had fell out. And, and she was, you know, we were picking her up because my mother stayed so far in the country that it, it would take the hot, the ambulance so long to get there that we felt it was necessary just to put in the car and um, drive her to the hospital. And so, you know, me being the strongest, <laughs> they tasked me with the, with it to um, pick her up and, and put in the car, and, and she was just dead weight. You know, she she was she had passed. Like she was she was not dead with us. And when, once I got her to the car, it was just it, it was I don't know it, it just it just weighed on me all at once, right? Mm-hmm. So from that situation, my grandmother wasn't she wasn't really into the church at that point. But when my aunt passed, she really got you know back in the church, and she got heavy into religion and her faith. And during that time, like I was. You know, I had things were going on over the next couple of years that I really questioned my faith. I really questioned different things. And but my grandmother would always call me every Sunday. We would always talk every Sunday, and she would tell me things she learned at church, and just just motivate me and encourage me. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I remember going into my senior year in college, and I had just met my son's mother maybe eight months prior, and she got pregnant maybe that March. I found out maybe that March or April. And around the time she got pregnant, I had gotten in some trouble in school. I got kicked out of school. I was too embarrassed to go back home, mm-hmm. you know, to my hometown. As a college dropout, I was felt like an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed uh, with one of my friends and slept on her couch. And I was out of a job. I had a kid on the way. I was basically homeless. It just it was all the things at once, and I was just down on my luck. And on top of that, like, my father called me. Hadn't spoke to him in a while. He called me, and he said, hey, what are you doing, man? Like, you, like you're going to ruin this girl's life. Oh, and when he said that, like, all the, like, I just, I don't know, I, I, I just let, let it go, you know. We, we exchanged words, and, um, yeah, I hung up the phone. I like and, how you say exchanged words there, like you didn't just like <laughs> rain has. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, and I, I was down for the rest of the day. Like I was really com- contemplating suicide because I felt like you know, man, I don't want to like bring my son into the world like this. Like, you know, I don't have I have nothing going for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't have nothing to offer his his mother. Maybe my father's right, and I was just down. <clears throat> And later that night, my, my grandmother called me and I didn't want to answer because I knew she was going to say some church stuff. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to even tell her what was going on with me. But, you know, I answered anyway. Some told me to answer the phone and I answered anyway. And, you know, I poured out everything that was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she prayed for me and she, and she told me something that sticks with me this, to this day that I think about every time. I'm, I'm, even now, I'm going through a little anxiety with moving. She said, "If you if you pray, why worry? And if you worry, why pray?" And that that little thing just always sits with me because a lot of times we pray about stuff and we talk about trusting God and having faith. 
but then we still worry after we pray. Like we still like stress ourselves out about certain stuff. We just put it in the hands of God, and, and you know, if you if you're into religion or you're into your faith, just put it in put it in His hands. You know, mm. he, He's never steered me wrong. You know, and I've had a my relationship, you know, to to God has like really grown over the last year or so uh, because of that. Because I've allowed him to lead my life and, and, and stop trying to direct it myself as much. And so that, that was the, one of the defining moments of my life uh, that's in the book. Awesome. Yeah. I have been on a spiritual journey for a while <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, you know, kind of denounced religion at one point myself. So mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely. can definitely relate to that. <laughs> I went more of a spiritual way with it now because I grew up in like a Baptist Christian like non-denominational type thing, but it was still very it was the very same themes, you know, throughout. And I have and my brother went to actually started to go to college for to be a pastor because you actually have to have a degree to get, to do that. And what they told him whenever he went to the school was that basically everything he was ever told was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, which I mean, it's not it's not that it's a lie. It's that it's it's unproven, essentially, which yeah. we all know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah, that's a that's another topic for another. That's another hour podcast. How much how much time? do you have? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've um, got plenty, yeah. but I don't know how much time you've got. <laughs> no, that's a definitely a, a long discussion about that. But. But I found is that, and I talk about it in the book, because um, I was I was trying to manufacture a relationship with God. You know, it was based off like, okay, I'm down on my on my luck. Can you help? Can you help me? You know, and when I was, and when things were going well, you know, <laughs> I didn't speak to him at all. Right. And so um, I was trying to manufacture a relationship with God, and I still, you know, it says, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar, but from my understanding, it says in the Bible that. God cannot be found in man-made temples, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, trying to, in, in my late, last relationship, you know, she was definitely heavy into church and religion, and I tried to go with her to church a few times. I never liked, I never could get, <laughs> I never could get jiggy with, with the way they conduct business in the church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a small town. I know things have changed now. It's become big business. And yeah. for some, you know, so, for some re- for some purposes, they, that business is helpful to people because they, they use those resources to actually help people. And I understand that. But I, you know, I was going to churches where they were selling like, you know, the sick, they had a bookshop that was selling like books about sex for married couples and I understand the need for that if I'm like like why is this in a church you know what I mean I didn't understand it at the time you know I was going to churches where you know they were giving special shout out shout outs to the people that <laughs> that uh, gave the most in donations and mm. you know if you gave this amount stand up if you gave this amount like I'm I didn't like I didn't like how that sounded, you know, right. and so that kind of drove me away from church. And uh, I think over the last year and a half, I've gotten closer to God without even stepping a foot in the church. So I don't even know if I ever will, because my relationship with God is is very personal right now. Right, right? same. You know, I dap him up every morning, and you know we <laughs> you have your talk, right? <laughs> That's the homie. That's the homie, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I um, I went the last time I tried to go to church. I went into a church, and he had a whole sermon that day that was just on tithing, and I was like, 
I don't like he spent more time talking about tithing than anything else the whole time that we were there. And I was and I had a bad experience with like the people who were around me um, because I had brought my baby and they wanted they were like very insistent on me putting her in like the daycare there. And she was like less than a year old. And I don't know anybody there. I've never been there. Like I'm not. I And they're like, oh, we do background checks. And I'm like, cool. But like background checks don't tell you what someone's intent is that's not going to help me (laughs) yeah so yeah i i just i haven't been back and and my mother is very religious and we're very close um but she just you know she goes to church and i'm like okay mom you do that i love you (laughs) yeah same here my my thing over here all right so one more thing before we close up here i wanted you to kind of explain because before you were explaining how music kind of plays a big part i mean obviously not just in the books but the probably your life so can you explain further a little bit more about that yeah so um music is one of my passions like i i really i grew up like making making music and producing music and and um, just being heavy into music and the how how the universe works is my son is heavily into music. So you asked me you asked me earlier. You said, "Hey, what was that period like being reintroduced to your son? Like, how was that? It, it became that period became easier with music actually because we both were into music. Like, he hears a song and he learns that song almost immediately. And so there's a chapter in my book dedicated to that period of time when we reconnected that summer." Right. And it's called um, Yearning for Your Love. Mm. Why I named it Yearning for Your Love is because, you know, I was trying to I was just trying to be the cool dad that summer. I took him everywhere. We had fun. And one of the things I did was take him to like an empty parking lot and let him drive on my lap. Right. Mm-hmm. And I cut the radio on. The first song that came on was The Gap Band. And this video is on my Instagram, by the way. Mm-hmm. The first song that came on was The Gap Band, Yearning for Your Love. And he had been hearing this song in my car over the last few days, but he knew the words already. So he was singing the words, we were singing it together. And I feel like it kind of it was the high, one of the highlights of that summer for me of us reconnecting. And so I named that chapter after that particular song. Every song, every chapter in the book is named after a song that either reminded me of that time period or, you know, was, was important to that time period of my life. My son is is definitely big into music. We we connect a lot with music. You know, he introduces me to some music. I do the same. You know, we talk about it. Like he's, you know, the type of kid that wants to know. You know, what does this mean? Like, why do they say this? So we actually break down lyrics and songs at, even at his age. So I really appreciate that because you know, just help us connect. You know, what I mean, there's a definitely a. Uh, 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 a gap, an age gap. And so anything that helps us bridge that gap and understand each other better is, is always good for me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember growing up in our family, like my brother and sister are very into their, well, my brother's very musically talented. I think my sister knows how to play guitar because their dad taught them. But like just growing up when we would go on car trips, cause we would, drive from like one corner of Kansas to Missouri, which was like an eight hour drive. And like the whole way there, all of us were just singing together because that's all you had to do, granted, but <laughs> because that's just the way it was. But I mean, music was such 
a big feeling almost in my life growing up. Like that's where the majority of my good memories surround is music. So I can definitely see why you would do that with your book because music is, is creates feeling. And that's what I like about it. I can remember like different time periods uh, in my life. I can remember, I remember those about by what the the sound was. Um, I remember driving to kindergarten, end of the road was playing, like driving the first day to, you know, to school with my mother. She was Mm -hmm. driving. And uh, I remember the song by Boris and Men, End of the Road was playing. So there's a lot of that in my life where I remember like what was on the radio, what was, you know, what the uh, what the big song was at the time, you know, depending on, you know, in that time period. Right. Same. Yeah. When my, not to ramble, but like when my sister was in, I think she was in high school. I don't remember. I think I was eight or so. But she had, she was on, had been on this really big kick where she didn't want me to copy anything that she did. And anytime that I did that was anything that was even remotely close to what she was doing, not even like attempting to copy her just to annoy her, like little siblings do, that wasn't actually what I was doing. But (laughs) anytime I did anything, she would get, I mean, flying off the handle angry. And so she would, she uh, had her room in the basement at the time. And I remember listening to her music because she had it up so loud I could hear it. And I loved it. I mean, loved it. And I was like, so one day I went to her and I was like, so what is music that's like close to what you like, but isn't anything that you like? Because she was so like worried about me copying her, you know? And so she, this is so dumb, but she turned me on to the Spice Girls (laughs) (laughs) at that time, (laughs) which is cool because like, you know, girl power and all, but. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. So that was that was one of my childhood. They had some, they had some slaps back then. They, they had some jams. They back did. Then. They did. <laughs> <laughs> they were banging. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, your book is called "Me and Your Mama: A Long Story Short." Um, and then, what's your next book? My next book. I want to give the. I haven't set on the title. I have a great title right now, but I don't. I, you know, I want to make sure this is what is. It's gonna. It's gonna stick. So. Right. I come back on. Actually, I come back on when the next one comes out to awesome. discuss. I enjoyed speaking with you today. Like you, yeah, definitely. I definitely love to discuss it. It's a lot of you know the next phase of, of you know the last book of you know learning how to. It's about you know how I'm still writing it, but I think right now it's about how I uh, transition into healing from my past and. Unlearning things that I learned early on about how to treat women and how I view women into now trying to date after that, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> trying to date after that and try because when you date after that, right, you uh, run into women that remind you of <laughs> of the women that you used to date right. and that's it's familiar to you. But those women that you used to date, their their characteristics, their whatever, they're not good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so you have to figure out a way to divert from that um, familiar feeling and that familiar, you know, those familiar conversations in order to just prepare yourself to meet and, and be around the right people. And so I think that's what the new, new book is about. I'm uh, about 60,000 words in. I started it early last year, February. I took a lot of time off. I actually just started back writing the last couple of days. So I got inspired. But I'll definitely be. I'm more than happy to come on and speak about it in the future when I'm done with it. Yeah, I would love that. That's a 
fantastic topic too, because I mean, there are so many men who have, who sometimes even have like negative opinions of women without even realizing that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, that's fantastic. I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Absolutely. And then where, if anybody wants to reach out to you about your book or anything, where can they reach you? Yes. Uh, my Instagram is after one of my favorite artists, uh, Banksy. It's called Black Banksy. That's my Instagram. You can send me a DM on there. Uh, my my email is Carl Willis, C-A-R-L Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, at yahoo.com. I'm still have the same email from uh from middle school, I think, right? So <laughs> Perfect. So all right, and I'll put those down in the description below too, so y'all can just click on it. Thank you so much again. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Oh no. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. You have been listening to the Teachable Soul podcast. You can find us on any social media platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram as The Teachable Soul or on Twitter as Teachable Soul. Also, if you'd like to help support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash The Teachable Soul. You can also visit our website for more information at theteachablesoul.com. 